Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of the Tomahawk Talk podcast. We're still quarantined across the state of Florida. Uh, but as always, I'm your host, Brad Rutherford, joined by my good friend and co-host, Gary Putnick. Gary, how was your week? It was pretty good. I mean, the drafts, the NFL draft certainly made it a whole lot better. And I know that gave us that little light at the end of the tunnel for this past week. But this next week's going to get a bit scary because – we only have yeah. the last dance as far as I'm concerned. I haven't really looked up on any bit of a sports calendar, but it's going to be a weird one. How about yourself? Yeah, for the first time, I was vested in day three of the NFL draft. I'll watch it occasionally if I've got nothing else going on on a Saturday afternoon, but uh, this past weekend, I, I was really uh, – I was locked in because, like, like you said, nothing else to do. But uh, joining our panel today is uh, Gabe Tisnes. Gabe, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing awesome because, like uh, Gary was saying, we had the NFL draft, and that just completely, like, reminded me that there is a future after corona. <laughs> there is life after corona where there is sports, and there is lots of other good stuff. And, honestly, I cannot wait for that to come. It's going uh, to be a day of joy for sure. Uh, and, and rounding out our panel, coming on really to moderate trivia tonight. Trivia is back. I'm going to be defending my title for the first time against Gary and Gabe. This is Luke Hazen. Luke was on um, back on our first podcast episode. Luke, uh, what's up, man? Nothing much, Brett. I'm happy to be on the show. You know, I had a little abrupt ending the last time after my phone unexpectedly died when I was on the show to kick off quarantine, Tomahawk Talk quarantine edition. But I'm happy to get my Alex Trebek on. I'll be kind of popping in and out to give a little commentary on the NFL draft. But I'm excited for this slate of questions I have for trivia tonight. I think you guys yeah, will so definitely be, do, definitely do be uh, challenged. Why don't you go ahead and reveal the theme for trivia tonight? Oh, well, of course. I mean, really the only sports, the new fresh sports content we have going right now is The Last Dance on ESPN, the 10-part documentary on Michael Jordan's Bulls. Um, so literally the theme is just going to be 90s NBA trivia, everything to do with the NBA during probably one of its higher peaks in the and 1990s. something that we weren't really alive to witness, so it's going to yeah. be interesting. <laughs> Y'all better uh, we've study watched it up. the first two hours of The Last Dance. We're going to watch the next two tonight. We're recording this on a Sunday. We won't be reviewing The Last Dance, but we are going to talk about it a little bit later on in the show. But we are here to talk about is the NFL draft. Like Gary said, it was one of the biggest sports events that we've had, probably the biggest sports event that we've had since the sports world came to a halt. Uh, a, lot of ha- a lot happened that we expected, but a lot happened that we weren't expecting throughout the draft. Uh, we-, we previewed the draft in the last episode. And a lot of our predictions did come to fruition um, over the weekend. Tua to the Dolphins. I said it was the most likely option. I think Gary agreed with me there. And there was no trades. Fell the Dolphins at five. The Chargers didn't trade up. There was no surprise team that traded up. I think in my Instagram mock draft on the V89 Instagram, I I went with, uh, I think it was the the Raiders trading up to take Tua. I tried to throw a little curveball in there. But I said uh, on last week's show, that Tua to the Dolphins was the most likely option. I wouldn't take Tua – I wouldn't take the Dolphins versus the field, but I think it's the most likely option. That came true. Justin Herbert then went number six to the Chargers. And, uh, Gary, are you pleased with the way that first Dolphins pick went? Yes. I liked how the Dolphins drafted as a whole for the most part, but this first pick – because there's so much worry about are the Dolphins going to trade or what, are we, what in the world are they trying to do? Because when we got down to Thursday – I was starting to see some rumors that the Dolphins were trying to acquire the third pick from the Lions, but still retain the fifth pick, their own fifth pick, 
and then trade up to the number one spot to get Joe Burrow, which I don't know how the hell that was going to happen, but there was a rumor. The Dolphins were giving smoke screens left and right to everyone and anyone, and they ended up taking the right person who I think. Like, I know there's still the worry about to his injuries, but you got to take the best available guy, and he's by far the best available talent in this draft. I've said from the beginning he might be the most talented quarterback in this draft class. Mm -hmm. Joe Burrow, obviously a legendary season. Was it 60 touchdown passes or what have you at LSU? But if, if, we're, if we're being real here, he did that for one season. And I have no doubt that he can replicate that in the NFL. He's going to be a fine NFL quarterback. But Tua, for me, represented a more proven QB talent. He did it over multiple seasons. Don't forget that Tua Tungvaluwa played LSU this year, the national champions, threw over 400 yards and four touchdowns. I mean, like a lot of people with the magic that Joe Burrow you know, carried throughout the season, the magic that that LSU team had throughout the year. Didn't forget about Tua, but kind of left him by the wayside, put him on the back burner uh, when Tua was, you know, tank for Tua had been the slogan for well over a year. I think Tua might be the best quarterback in this class. And I think the Dolphins, um, you know, with the smoke screens they put up, made a really good decision uh, sticking to their guns there and, and taking him. But uh, Luke or Gabe, would either of you guys went with, with Herbert or maybe someone else or a different position with that number five pick? Oh, definitely not. I mean, Tua was the guy the whole year. We were talking about Tank for Tua, um, just like we're talking about Tank for Trevor Lawrence next year. And the Dolphins just needed a quarterback. You have Ryan Fitzpatrick in your roster right now, but he's not going to last any much longer. So you have, to, you have to think about the future. And, and I think they really nailed it, considering that they failed on picking up Drew Brees a couple of years ago, which is a pretty fair comparison for Tua as a pro athlete. Yeah, no, I definitely, yeah, I definitely think the, the Dolphins were justified in their pick. And honestly, I still believe that injuries aside, I still believe two is probably the best NFL prospect out of the three quarterbacks that went in the top 10 out of Herbert, uh, Burrow, and Tua. I would still go with Tua over both the other guys. Um, so I think the Dolphins absolutely made the right pick in drafting their quarterback of the future. You know what gave me a little bit of hope? And I'm going to ask you guys a question here, a little early trivia. Do you guys know who the last Miami Dolphins quarterback to be selected in the top five in NFL draft was? Bob Grease. Correct. Bob Greasy. Bob Greasy, the great Bob Greasy, two-time Super Bowl champion, six-time Pro Bowler, and his NFL MVP in 71. So that gives you hope. <laughs> he's in good, really good company considering that one, one of the Super Bowls that Bob Greasy has was the undefeated season. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think Dolphins fans should be excited. He was, he was the best quarterback available when it, when – it was their turn to pick, and they stuck with their guns. Now, uh, the draft. we got to talk a little bit about the virtual draft. I enjoyed it. I thought there were some hiccups. There were some things that could have been done better um, by ESPN, ABC. Um, but overall, I enjoyed it. And somewhat like WrestleMania, and I talked about this a few weeks ago, I had low expectations. I would have taken anything they threw in my way. But overall, I enjoyed it. Gary, what, what, what were your thoughts on the – on the presentation put on by the NFL and by ESPN. It was solid. They did the best they could with it, I really thought. And, I mean, the people certainly enjoyed it. There was 55 million people that tuned in over the course of the three days. So that's insane. It was t It's tallied to be the most uh, viewed draft ever. So that obviously helps. But the one part I enjoyed the most of this production was Roger Goodell and just getting to see his transition as we went through the weekend, like 
early on, like Friday or Thursday night, he was wearing the suit. He was standing up. And then kind of as we progressed, he slouched, started to like get into his chair, slouched more, started to indulge in a few M&Ms throughout the weekend. So it was just a ton of fun watching him see a more personable side of him. I think he was indulging in a little more than just M&Ms with uh, how comfortable he got throughout the weekend. Um, but honestly, good on him because you could, I watched all of day two and by, and by that last pick because that third round is extended. It's not just 32 picks. You could tell uh, he, he was ready for, for bed and, and he probably deserved it. So uh, Roger Goodell catches a lot of hate. But good on him for reading off all those picks because usually rounds two and three aren't read off by the commissioner. So he, uh, he stepped up to the plate. Uh, but I know there's one topic that came up a lot through the draft is the amount of human interest stories that the draft goes on, uh, goes into with some of these players and draft prospects and selections. And a lot of them are moving. A lot of them are inspirational. And a lot of these players want these stories to be told. But Luke, do you think that ESPN maybe went a little overkill here with uh, the amount of, of, of human interest stories, sad stories? that they told throughout the broadcast? You know, they're, they're trying to find these angles and they're trying to find interesting stories, inspirational stories to talk about with these players, kind of give them a sympathetic angle, um, whereas they otherwise might not have. Um, so I don't blame them in trying to find something to give the players a little more character. Um, but it did, it did kind of get to a point where we saw so, some of the stories they were going with were kind of reaches. And that's where I got a little bit uncomfortable. Like they were going out of their way to choose a sad story just for the sake of choosing a sad story. But overall, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna criticize ESPN for trying to do what they've always done, which is uh, find inspirational stories from all these players and give them give them something for us to root for in them. Yeah, I think uh, the the pl- if the players wanted these stories to be told, if that, if they wanted this part of their life to be part of their story when they're drafted then I thought ESPN, for the most part, did a great job in, in, in telling those stories. A lot of them were tragic, um, but it, I don't know if that's the, the players' emotions. I don't know if that's and, what they're feeling. I don't know if that's what they want broadcast to the world. Yeah, and on the flip side, you saw – so there was a lot of criticism uh, on ESPN for what they did, and I, I saw a lot of people on Twitter and all over the internet dogging them for it. But in one instance where T. Higgins comes forward, and like at the bottom of T. Higgins' player card – it said that his mother had battled drug addiction for a long, long time, and someone criticized ESPN for that. T. Higgins jumped out right away and said, listen, I want my mom's story to be told. Like, it's fine. It's perfectly fine that ESPN tells stories like this of overcoming obstacles in, in their lives. Um, so I definitely think that if you look at it from the player's perspective, like, maybe they want these stories to be told about them. And I'm sure ESPN got full confirmation from the players before uh, to tell these kind of stories. I think that's a fair assumption. Gabe? Yeah, I think that when we hear about sad stories and people having to go through adversity, we automatically think, oh, dang, that sucks for them. And then we think about ourselves a little bit too much instead of thinking about how they overcame those things. And it's easy for us to be uncomfortable when we're trying to watch the NFL draft and the circumstances that we're in. We are trying to find an escape. And the NFL draft did a great job when it came to that. But I think sometimes they kind of just overdid it a little bit with the stories and the random facts <laughs> we were yeah, learning I think about. A, a fair opinion to have, yeah, for sure, for with sure. This, with this draft, I really, I don't know. I wanted to stay off, kind of criticizing them for doing that because, like, what with T. Higgins, what happened with him? That's part of their life. That's real. It's not something to joke about. Like addiction, death, and all that kind of stuff is not sure. something I really feel like 
joking around about. But at the end of the day, I think we were all a lot of hyper analyzing this draft because we had nothing else to do, nowhere else to go. This is the only thing we had to look at. And I feel like a lot of time in these drafts, they're telling these stories and we kind of just like throw them to the wayside, like, oh, okay, whatever, who's the next pick? Because we got somewhere else to be something else to do. But we're all stuck at home. We're all just watching the TV and we got nothing else to do. So we start to realize, hey, there are a lot of these stories. And then some people may take it a bit too far and make a joke about it. But I think it really came down to hyper-analyzing for this year. Yeah, Gary brings up a good point. Uh, you know, not to brag, I've got two TVs in my living room, right? And my original plan, if the draft were, uh, you know, going on under normal circumstances, would be draft on one TV, probably with audio for the first few picks, maybe until the Bucks pick. And then it slides over to the second TV where I can either throw the Rays game on or there'd be an NBA playoff game or an NHL playoff game or something else on. Obviously, that didn't happen this year. My eyes were glued to the TV. I went and picked up some wings from a local establishment and uh, enjoyed the entire draft. So this is what we were watching. And at the same time, ESPN was using these stories to create content. And that's part of what it was. Obviously, this is a story that needs to be told for some of these players. But this is content for ESPN. And I think it's important that they just, you know, strongly consider how they're using that content. And I don't have any reason to doubt that they did. Like Luke said, I'm sure that they went through all of these with the individual players. And I believe that's really all that needs to be said on the matter. Uh, uh, we don't want to speak for anyone. We don't want to speak for ESPN. We don't want to speak for the players um, that were featured on the draft. And uh, let's, let's move back to actually talking about some of the players selected. So besides the quarterbacks, all right, we're going to talk about one more quarterback here in just a second. Um, another big storyline in this draft was how were the offensive tackles going to be selected. There were four tackles that were kind of the focal point of the draft for that position. You had Andrew Thomas out of Georgia, you had Mekhi Becton out of Louisville, Tristan Wirfs out of Iowa, and Jedrick Wills out of Alabama. Now, Wirfs was seen by many, uh, at least as we got closer and closer to the draft, to being the number one tackle out of those four. Uh, the, he's played right tackle at Iowa. And when it came to draft day, it was Andrew Thomas taken number four by the New York Giants um, as, the, as the first tackle. And Wirfs goes all the way to the number 13 pick where the Tampa Bay Bucks traded up one slot to take him at number 13. Um, Luke, you're, you're the Bucks fan. So am I. But were you, how surprised were you when Wirfs slipped all the way down to the Bucks? And it looked like they could have got him at 14. Um, but rumors were flying that other teams were trying to trade up to get him at 13. So, but how surprised were you that the Bucks were able to to grab him in the first round? I mean, to put it simply, Brett, I was shocked that Tristan Wirbs had fallen that far after reading almost every single mock draft imaginable just to consume some sort of sports content throughout the week. Um, I thought for sure that Wirbs was going to go to either the New York Giants at number four or the Cleveland Browns at number 10, um, both which he slid past. Um, so I was very, very thankful as a buck because I, I went into this draft thinking he and Andrew Thomas were probably my, my top two um, tackles that the Bucks could go out and get. And thankfully, Werbs fell at number 13. Um, and to refute, to refute the idea that the, the Bucks lost that trade with the, the 49ers, um, they traded up with to the, four, the 13th pick instead of the 14th pick. Um, I had been hearing rumors that the Dolphins, the Dolphins who had, I, Gary, correct me if I'm wrong, but they had the 21st pick. 20th pick 20 we had 26 18 and 5 eight so round. it was the 18th pick mm -hmm. where they chose austin jackson i believe correct yep usc tackle they saw 
within Miami, they saw a clear drop-off between the top four tackles that were taken and Austin Jackson, who they ended yeah. up taking. So the Bucks viewed the Dolphins as a threat to trade up to that 13th pick instead of them, So which, which is why I think they had to fork over uh, that fourth-round pick that they did. Um, but overall, I was very, very happy with Tristan Works as a selection by the Bucks. Well, you look at that trade, and you look at draft classes as a whole. And I know in baseball, and it's probably very similar in football, not minds of the front offices, you're looking to maximize the amount of production you're going to get on the field from this draft class. And by take, using your fourth round pick, which they traded to get move up one spot, and your first round pick, the Bucks are getting a plug and play starting right tackle in Tristan Wirfs, which might be more than what you'd be getting in terms of total production over a career than if you had taken, I don't know, a defensive back or a linebacker like uh, the linebacker out of LSU, uh, Kalevin uh, Chasen. Or oh, yeah, Chasen, Chasen, yeah. Um, and, and taking someone else in the fourth round. So in terms of production, if everything goes as planned for Wirfs and the Bucks, he's going to be starting at right tackle for them day one. He's going to be protecting Tom Brady. Bruce Arians said as much on that original phone call with him. So by them – Taking that, I don't even call it a chance, but by making that move to go get up one more slot and secure the guy that you want, the guy that you were not expecting to be anywhere close to number 14 on your draft board, uh, I I don't think it's taking a gamble or a chance at all. I think that's securing production um, in the first round, which is what more than any team can ask for. But overall, the the, the Bucs did it, and that, that was the fourth tackle taken. Going back to, to what you said, though, Luke, earlier, how you thought maybe the Browns would take him at 10, and they ended up going with – did the Browns take Becton? They, they took – no, they, they took Jedrick Wills from um, Wills. from Alabama, and then the Jets took Mekhi Becton from uh, Louisville. So I've got a couple theories that I haven't really backed up with a whole lot of evidence, but they're really just ideas. My, my first is that a lot of teams study guys that they think are going to be available for them. So they're going to highly scout those guys And that some teams, if a player that might be better slips to where they're taking, you know, where they're picking, they might disregard them. They might focus on the player they've scouted more, the player they were expecting to take. I think one example, maybe the Eagles with Jalen Rager, uh, they might not have ex- expected Justin Jefferson to fall there. <laughs> them. I know a lot of Eagles fans were upset with that pick. I don't think it's the worst pick in the world. Um, but Rager might have been a guy they scouted, a, a guy they were expecting to be the best available receiver. And when maybe that wasn't the case, T. Higgins and Justin Jefferson are still on the board, they decide to stick with him because they know more about him um, instead of maybe taking a step back and saying, all right, who's the best receiver available and who's the guy we really should take? My second theory is that um, – Teams have – a lot of our draft knowledge comes from mock drafts. So there's a lot of these names, even for us serious college football fans, that we only know of through mock drafts. And what, you know, guys like Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay and some of these other guys that work for other outlets write about them. So we have in our minds that that's what their value is. If Mel Kuyper says someone should be taken in the, you know, mid to late first round, uh, an outside linebacker from the Big Ten, we probably had no idea who he was until he was written about. These teams are much, much more knowledgeable. Some of them, maybe not the New York Giants, uh, but some of them are much more knowledgeable on these subjects than we are. They're going to have their own separate draft boards. So when Jalen Rager gets taken by the Eagles, and I'm going to go back to this example and maybe more of a positive light for the Eagles, uh, just because Jalen Rager wasn't in many first-round mocks 
doesn't mean that the Eagles or many other NFL teams were rating him, you know, weren't rating him that high. Uh, I think a lot of people, just because they haven't seen a name on a mock draft that they've read and their team doesn't pick that guy, um, they get uh, irrationally upset. My biggest theory for the draft is that bad teams stay bad, good teams stay good. But obviously we've got to talk about it because there's not much else to talk about. I don't know if that bad teams stay bad and the good teams get good theory is going to hold up with the Dolphins here. I mean, they were a bad <laughs> team last year, but they're certainly looking good heading into next season. There's or the Patriots. Patriots, Questionable, yeah. questionable draft by the Patriots. Green we'll Bay see. Packers. Yeah. We're going to talk well, about I mean, the Packers here in a second. The Patriots did have a dog drafting for them at one point, and that's when they did take a, that <laughs> D2 safety. So, <laughs> Did the dog take the kicker too? Uh, I don't know, but the Dolphins did take the first and I don't know, maybe the only long snapper off the board in the whole draft when we took LSU's, I think his last name is Ferguson. So yeah. that was an interesting pick. I saw we got, the Dolphins got an F on that uh, draft grade. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, the last really big move from the first round that we got to cover is uh, Jordan Love to the Green Bay Packers. So this is something that I don't think was that crazy. And I know a lot of – if we had Brooks on this week uh, – Oh, Brooks he, would be livid. He'd be livid. And maybe rightfully so. But I'm looking at Packers fans. He wanted them to either take uh, – I think they wanted a receiver. A lot of Packers fans didn't, and there were some available to them. T. Higgins was available at that point. I don't, I don't think Jefferson still was. No, Jefferson wasn't. They, they would have had to trade up to get Jefferson. Yeah. They would have to trade up. But a lot of Packers fans, that's what they wanted them to do. Instead, they trade up to take Jordan Love, um, quarterback out of Utah State, when they've still got Aaron Rodgers, who is only 36, which seems like he's getting older, but Tom Brady's 42. So we don't really know how long Rodgers will play for. Um, but the, listen, Packers fans, and I once I still consider myself somewhat a Packers fan. You went 13-3 and three last year. You were in the NFC title game. Stop getting upset. But when the Packers haven't drafted a running back or wide receiver in the past 15 years, there's got to be some – got to get a little bit angry about that. You're drafting the replacement to Aaron Rodgers. You traded it up. I know it's the same theory as what the Bucs did with Wurfs. They traded up to secure that guy because they knew the Dolphins were not going to take a quarterback there because obviously they take Tua earlier in the draft. But you got to help him out a little bit. I know in the past 15 years, they've probably taken some O-linemen. They've helped him at Rogers out by beefing up that O-line. But yeah, give, they him did. Some, give him some tools to work with here. I know. And then they go and draft – I think they went and drafted a running back later on when they have two solid options in the backfield. Here's, here's my problem with – oh, Gabe, you go first. You go first, sure. and I'll get in. I'll rant. Uh, I think this is a complete betrayal to Aaron Rodgers. Um, they were 13-3 and three last year. And they got smoked by the Niners. And they haven't done a single move in the offseason to get any closer while the Niners are just getting better. The, the Packers, they don't know what they're doing. They're being conservative. And Matt LaFleur just wants to be the quarterback after Rodgers is there. Because the timelines don't even match for the rookie quarterback that the NFL in today's uh, landscape, how it works is that you draft a rookie quarterback, you build a team around him, And by the time that Rodgers is out of there, his rookie quarterback's going to expire, Jordan Loves. So there, there just doesn't seem to be a real plan for this. At the same time, though, that's what happened with Rodgers and Favre. You know, you Not know, really. Dynamic. Like, Aaron Rodgers is a lot better than what Favre was back then. I, but Jordan Love could be the same way if that's yeah, the way the Packers view him. 
he has was, to be a hall of famer for them to you well, know justify no, this well that's what they were Ooh, saying exactly that. that's exactly what they were saying when aaron Rodgers got drafted no one knew aaron Rodgers was going to be a aaron Rodgers drafted a kid out of cal late in aaron Rodgers has thrown four interceptions in the regular season while far through four picks on the wild card game that they lost to the vikings at home i know but i'm saying we're take take out all of aaron Rodgers. Pro, like pro statistics, look at him as the college player when Favre was still the quarterback in Green Bay. But he was this projected exactly to be. The same he situation. was projected to be a number one pick. Jordan Love is a project. Well, okay, but uh, it's they, still- the Packers couldn't trade up to take a better quarterback. If the Packers think they needed a quarterback, Jordan Love is the best they could get. They weren't mm-hmm. getting Tua. They weren't getting Herbert. They weren't getting Burrow. Right, but you're 13 and three, you're knocking on the Super Bowl. Why would you think about what happens after Aaron Rodgers is gone? Think about what's going on right now. Well, for, for GMs, and, and maybe they'll end up on the wrong side of history in this, but for GMs, you have to find ways to compete yeah. right now, but also look ahead towards the future because there will be a time where Aaron Rodgers isn't your quarterback. Mm-hmm. And right. Aaron Rodgers' play style isn't necessarily the safest, let's be honest with ourselves. He gets out of the pocket a lot, and that, a lot of that offensive line isn't there. Bullock is gone. Right, that's what I'm saying. You either invest in him, which they did, or you don't. And now it seems like they're going to have to make a tough decision. I think they're going to have to make a tough decision at the end of this year because I don't see them winning the Super Bowl, and that's going to make a lot of people mad. Here's the thing. Gabe calls this this move a conservative move. I think it's incredibly aggressive by the Packers Mm -hmm. to set up their future for the next 10, 15 years. I think think it's a heads-up play if they truly believe that they can mold Jordan Love into an NFL quarterback. He doesn't need to be as good as Aaron Rodgers. No one's expecting him to be as good as Aaron Rodgers. Because guess what? We didn't expect Aaron Rodgers to be Aaron Rodgers when he mm-hmm. was back under Favre. Um, and also, the same Packers fans that are clamoring for them to trade up for a wide receiver are the same Packers fans that are going to praise them after the Packers front office draft someone like Jordy Nelson or Randall Cobb in the second or third round picks and praises their, their uh, insight for thinking ahead and scouting those players. Um, so I, I really don't see the issue with this pick. But they didn't draft a single receiver in the deepest receiver class in over a decade. Like, you, Okay, I know it's a deep class, but outside of all the receivers drafted up until T. Higgins, you know, every, everyone past T. Higgins are guys that are somewhat replaceable. I think there are guys you can get in free agency, positions you can, you can add on in free agency. And again, the Packers, this might not work out for them. But you cannot, you know, bang their front office for not only worrying about this year, but worrying about the next few years. Because Aaron Rodgers, he might not be a Packer his entire career. I know he's 36. He might play six more seasons. Those might not all be with Green Bay. I think, I think it's hypocritical of Rodgers, too. If he comes out and criticizes the move, it, yeah. it's showing that he hasn't learned anything from him getting bullied under Favre. I don't, I don't get it. And that's what I was just about to touch on. Is Rodgers going to help Love like Brett did not help Rodgers? Is there is there going to be any relationship there? Like because we know Aaron doesn't really like to be talked down to, and that's why McCarthy the falling out McCarthy happened. For sure. Well, we do got to move on to uh, some storylines from the draft that might hit a little closer to home here in Tallahassee. Cam Akers. Goes to the L.A. Rams in the second round. I said the third round was probably the best it was going to get for Cam Akers. Gary said second round. That's where he ended up going. And he was the only Florida State player taken. I think I predicted Stanford Samuels the third would go in day three. That was not the case. He does sign as an undrafted free agent. He does go to Green Bay, speaking of the Packers. Uh, but, Gary, talk to me a little bit about Cam Akers and what it's like for a guy like him 
to uh, go as high as the second round. I think it's huge, and especially the place where he's going to, it's a great – I mean, it's a good fit for him right now because they just got rid of Gurley. They have an open spot for him there. He'll be starting. Like, that's, I think that's what's going to be huge about this pickup here for the Rams is that they're going to get a starting running back, and he'll be ready to go week one. He has had – he really hasn't had any injury issues at FSU, so – that's also a huge plus, but he has had a decent amount of mileage on him during those three years at FSU, considering he was a big part of their workload. So there is that concern because everyone likes to talk about load management, whatever, in sports today. But I still really like the pick, and I was happy to see him go to a good situation. And I hopefully McVay can get the best out of him. I think it's a really good situation for him, especially considering the circumstances that he faced in FSU, he's going to face some of those in, in, in Los Angeles too because they don't have a really good offensive line. I thought they were for sure going to address the offensive line in the first three rounds, and they didn't. Um, so I think for him, he'll, he'll have a really good future, um, and I hope he does well because he was a really good player for the Knowles. Yeah, for sure. Um, second round, I thought that was great for him. And I, I know the jokes have been flying on the internet that uh, Los Angeles is becoming FSU West. It is. We've got I mean, Cam Akers, Derwin James, Terrence Mann, Fiondu Cavangeli, um, and a couple other players that signed as undrafted free agents. You had Levante Taylor also going to the Rams, uh, and Ryan Roberts and Gabe Neighbors going to the Los Angeles Chargers. So, uh, Gary, out of, out of this group of undrafted free agents for Florida State, which one do you think has the best chance of sticking around with a team and, uh, and get, getting their chance to, to make a team out of camp? It's probably going to be Ryan Roberts just because the just as the need of O-line in the NFL and healthy O-linemen, it's really a necessity to have such. So having Ryan Roberts being able to kind of hang around, that should really help the Chargers. And I don't know, I, I was surprised though that Gabe Neighbors actually got picked up as an undrafted free agent. Yeah, Roberts, i really rooting for the guy. What a mm-hmm. great guy. And he, he only spent a short time at Florida State. He was a grad transfer out of Northern Illinois. Um, he had played at, at Doak Campbell Stadium back in 2018, uh, but got a chance to play on the offensive line for the Knowles in 2019. But if we're being honest, not an NFL quality uh, line, lineman. And I don't know if he'll have that opportunity. Like you said, you know, teams enjoy that depth. So maybe he does get a, a chance. Maybe he comes into camp, guns a blazing, and earns a spot. Um, if we're looking at a player that I think has the best chance of sticking around, uh, it's Levante Taylor just because of what he came into Florida state as. And I know we talked about how his career kind of was on a gradual decline throughout his time at Florida state. Um, but given what we've seen all of these players, you know, achieve at the college level, he's maybe got the highest ceiling and yep. it would take a lot for him to get that ceiling back. But ultimately I think he's got the best chance. Now, before we go into this week's trivia trivia, we do have some other moves around the NFL that we need to talk about some really shocking moves um, for, for a lot of people, Rob Gronkowski comes out of retirement and is traded from the Patriots to the Bucks. The only way he was going to come out of retirement is to play with the Bucks, to play with Tom Brady for at least one more year. Who knows? Maybe as long as Brady's in Tampa, um, Gronk would stay. But this was something that I think people threw out as a joke. Like, oh, Brady's going to Tampa. Gronk, is he just Gronk going to join him? And uh, it ended up happening. The Bucks trade. Uh, Gronk for Gronk in a seventh round or Gronk in a fourth round. No, sorry. The Patriots trade Gronk in a seventh for um, a fourth round pick. Yes. So the Bucks and Patriots swap fourth and seventh round picks and the Bucks get Gronk. So I think this is a trade that works out for both sides really well. 
not only do the Bucks get the greatest tight end of all time, I know he's coming out of retirement, but he's only 30 years old, um, and the Patriots get a fourth-round pick for a player that was retired. I think this is probably a, a trade that both teams win. Gary, do you agree? Yeah, both teams win, but with Gronk, you're saying he's a 30-year-old. He's surely the number due to the age just from the year he was born to now is 30 years old, but his his mental health has got to be way, way longer than 30 right now. So I think it's good. I still think it's a good pickup. I like Gronk. He's obviously a very good player, but I'm what I'm really interested to see out of him is to see kind of him build up muscle again because he when he doesn't play football, he really slims down, and it's weird to see him kind of fluctuate in that weight. Well, I saw him up close and personal in Tallahassee a few weeks ago mm-hmm. um, when he was here for Stadium Blitz, and he was at the uh, – I don't remember which game it was, um, but he was right up there by the you know media section, and I saw him right there. He Is was it a thin. Syracuse game? It might have been. It might have been Syracuse. Uh, but he was thin. He did not look like the same Rob Gronkowski that played for the New England Patriots, um, but he looked in good shape. And if he can add weight back on, I know he said he was at uh, 250, I think, on his Bucks press conference. Um, he wanted to get, add maybe another 10, 12 pounds. So who knows? The Bucks already have two tight ends. One they used a first-round pick on a couple years back with O.J. Howard. They also have Cam Brate. So I know there's been talks about O.J. Howard getting moved on from. Uh, I think there's a chance they keep all three and use one or you know one of them as maybe a, a wide receiver in some packages. I know Gronk could do that. Cam Brate could do it as well. So the Bucks have, again, another asset um, as part of their offense to go with some of the other guys they've added uh, throughout the offseason. But Gabe, was was Gronk coming out coming back a, a big shock to you? It was a big shock, uh, especially the way that it all happened. It was just out of nowhere. We were all in quarantine, and there were no rumors about this happening. And then all of a sudden, I checked Twitter, and boom, Gronkowski's back. And as a Saints fan, it scares me. It scares me because not just who he is, or at least who he was, but because of the chemistry that he can reconnect with Brady. That's like the biggest thing for me because OJ Howard has been a total bust so far. And mm. if I had to, mm, I, I don't know, say first round pick, but either way, I bust. think maybe not a bust, but he's been a disappointment. And uh, I think that they should trade him because you already have Cameron Braid as your backup and OJ Howard doesn't seem to have a future. Uh, he has a lot of immaturity issues and he's probably not going to last that long in the NFL. In my wow. Opinion. Wow, no. Through through three seasons. Go ahead, Brett. OJ Howard has 1,456 receiving yards and 12 touchdowns. I mean, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, he's been playing in the Bucks offense. That that's got to count or something. I mean, I'm just saying, uh, he's got 14 starts his rookie year, 14 starts last year, eight starts in 2018. He dealt with an injury there. Uh, He's got a 67.1 catch percentage. He hasn't been great. I'm not saying he's a Pro Bowl tight end. But to call him a bust, I think three years well, in is three years being, in is way too early. For being a first rounder and the offense, the circumstances that he's been provided, I think he should have done a lot better. And there's a know, reason why from, a lot of people saying he, he wasn't given great circumstances given who his quarterback was. <laughs> he threw for five thousand yards. He's the passing leader of the he's NFL as of right now. Yeah, he's the passing king. <laughs> and I think Bruce Aarons is a really good coach and the way that he's talked about him, the way that the way that he's treated him shows a lot of concerns that he has and you got to think about it he's a first round prospect coming from Alabama very hyped and none of the teams in the NFL have really been interested in him they haven't really been willing to trade for him and that's got to 
be a red flag for me. Well, okay. I don't Do know, you know how willingly the Bucks. Yeah. Go for it, Luke. No, I was going to say I don't think the Bucks have really been willing to trade their first round tight end threat in OJ Howard over the last couple of years, which is why there haven't been a lot of teams linked to him. Um, this is the this is the first time that you're really going to see trade rumors fly around for OJ Howard. Um, I for one think this is the best possible thing that could have happened to OJ Howard, being paired with a with a Hall of Fame greatest tight end of all time in Rob Gronkowski. Not only for the fact that he and Rob just command the middle of the field now, and it takes a lot of pressure off OJ Howard, but just the leadership from Rob Gronkowski that I think you're going to see kind of influence OJ Howard a little bit, you know, and that goes with the entire team. I think with Tom Brady coming over here first and Rob coming over here second, I think Rob Gronkowski, I think a lot of players are going to listen to Rob Gronkowski when he looks up at Tom Brady and he tells those players to listen to him because Rob and Tom both know how to win Super Bowls. So I think there's definitely a sense of legitimacy that comes just with having Rob down in Tampa. For sure. Yeah, and again, uh, the Bucs, I, I think there are teams interested. I don't know if teams are interested in paying the price the Bucs would want for a guy they took for in the OJ. first round three years ago, yeah. four years ago, whatever it was. Um, the, I mean, the first move, thing that came to – yeah. The last move other the than – yeah. go ahead, Luke. The first thing that came to mind when I when Rob got linked to the Bucks, I saw some dog tweet on Twitter, not some just, rumor. No, about no, no, it. not just some dog. <laughs> the Leroy Insider tweeted it out April eighth. <laughs> Someone with a dog, Abby. Um, they they tweeted out that there were possibly rumors of Rob. I immediately thought of him and Aaron Hernandez and their time in New England and how much yeah. of an absolute threat they were and how they just dominated the league for the one or two seasons that they were together. So I. I well, and there As were some games fan, that hoping. that was the case with OJ and Bray. Obviously, not to the same caliber as Hernandez and Gronkowski. One hundred percent. I think but all three of these guys are over the middle of the field. Total uh, vertical the, threats. The quarterbacks. Yeah, one hundred percent. That's so perfect for Bruce Arians' offense. And the last move, and maybe a little more surprising, uh, we touched on it a little bit, but Jameis Winston was a free agent after the Bucks decided to not re-sign him and pick up Tom Brady. He joins the New Orleans Saints on a one-year deal. Now, obviously, he won't be the starter at all this year, but maybe if he impresses the Saints in preseason and throughout the regular season, once the day comes, Drew Brees retires, maybe Jameis Winston is the guy they move to next. Uh, Gabe, you're, you're a Saints fan. Thoughts on Jameis Winston to New Orleans? I'm just happy that he got his eyes fixed in the offseason because if he stepped in the field without having glasses or something to fix the 30 interceptions that happened last season, I would have been really upset because – He's going to probably fill in for, for Breeze at some point this season, just thinking about either an injury or maybe resting him a bit because he tends to wear off a little bit as the season goes on. He's already 40-plus years old. Um, he's got a lot of tread on those tires. So even if he just comes in for a year, I think it's a good pickup because we want to use Taysom Hill as a receiver. We want to use him in the special teams. We want to use him as a running back. He plays a lot of positions that are physically demanding, so he might not be full in as a backup quarterback. And he was the passing yards leader last year, like I mentioned before. So it's, it's not a bad pick of it at all. Gabe, hey, are you assuming that the Saints are going to have a – are expecting to clinch a playoff spot before the regular season ends? Because you're saying if James is going to come in and play a few games just to give Bree some rest, that should be implying that they have clinched a playoff spot with multiple weeks left. I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how good the Bucks are this year because they're in the same division, mm-hmm. so they play us twice. So I'm going to say that we are definitely up there, and we might not have it all wrapped up like we did a, a couple of years ago, but I think either way, it just comes down to 
like what do you want to happen in the playoffs? Do you want to have a rest of Drew Brees or do you want to have a, you know, a little bit tired Drew Brees that went all out for the first seed? Um, so we'll see. And don't forget about the Falcons either. They got a lot of first round picks on that team. They got a lot of them. <laughs> whole whole offense. Still exactly. littered with them. I could talk more about Jameis Winston, but honestly, it would pain me to do so. I, I hope I was hoping he had a starting job. He gets a backup job uh, in the same division as the Bucks, with probably the team I like the or I hate the most. Um, so that's rough. But I will say, I hope he does well. I will say, I think the most exciting and interesting rivalry in the NFL next year between the two best teams in the NFC just got a little more interesting, a little more intriguing with Jameis. James did say that he year. was going to be in Tampa for the Super Bowl. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. Saints fans uh, are it's going to be really rough for him to get there. <laughs> the Bucks are playing. Also trade for him in the middle of the season. Maybe, maybe. All right. Let's get to trivia. Luke is moderating tonight. We've got about 20 minutes left on the show. Got 10 questions to get through. I am the current champion. Gary trying to take his title back. Gabe is coming in. The new contender on the block. But, uh, Luke, I'll, I guess I'll hand it over to you at this point. All right, Jemin. Well, you know, I have a lot, a lot ahead of me uh, trying to moderate this after the great Luke Fay, after the great Brett Rutherford, after all of my former hosts that have come before me. But I'm going to try my best to make this as clean and exciting as possible. Um, so I have ten questions lined up for you guys today, consisting of true, true and false multiple choice ton of questions strictly about the 1990s NBA and all the players that were littered throughout that era. Um, so I think the way that we're going to do this is I'm going to ask you guys a question at first. You guys are going to write down your answer. I'm going to give you guys 10 seconds to write down an answer and I will reveal the answer after that. And we're just going to count how many points you guys have going forward. If we're tied after the 10 questions, I have a couple bonus questions as well that will break our tie and crown an eventual champion. All right, let's do it. Sounds so, good. Let's are go. you guys ready? You got pens, pencils, paper available? Got it. Ready to go. Whatever we need. Home. All right, here we go. Let's do it. Question number one. So obviously the last dance is tonight, episodes three and four. Um, so I thought we'd start out with a little Bulls trivia. So question one. In 1992, Michael Jordan famously set an NBA Finals record with 35 points and six made threes and a half, prompting him to do this directed at his own bench. Oh, wow. All right. Time is up. Gentlemen, what do we we have? Gabe, what's your answer? Charge move. Oh, are you kidding me? Brett, what was your answer? Blow a kiss. I'm way wrong. Oof, so shrug. Brett with zero points. Gabe, did you have shrug there? Yes. Shrug All right. So Gary with one, Gabe with one, Come Brett on. with zero. After Not one a good question. It's, a, it's such a popular gif. I know. <laughs> yeah. I was overthinking it. I was like, I don't think I've seen this before. <laughs> Reality, that I've was against the Portland times. Trailblazers in his second mm-hmm. NBA Finals. So Gary one, Gabe one, Brett zero after one question. Question number two. This Hall of Fame point guard, holds the all-time record for points, assists, and steals for this deceased franchise, although he infamously shied away from guarding Michael Jordan in their NBA Finals matchup during the 1990s. Yeah, okay, so it's the Sonics. Yes. 
All right. Or it could be a team. Time is up. Pencils down. What do we got, boys? I think I got this one really wrong. (laughs) Gabe with Sean Kemp. Kemp. (laughs) Gary going with the glove. That is correct. Gary choosing Gary. I got to get it. It is Gary Payton. I got to get it. No, Sean Kemp was a forward gentleman. Gary Payton, the glove. I'll go with my namesake. So Gary with two, Gabe with one. Is that your namesake, really? No, no, it's not. My My grandpa was named Gary. (laughs) Okay. Is your grandpa Gary Payton? <laughs> no, he is not. <laughs> Brett still with zero points after two. This is getting concerning. Gary's starting to pull away. I can't let it yeah. happen. <laughs> All right. Huge pivotal question here then. Question number three. Which NBA superstar put Fila, the shoe company, on the map Ooh. with a record shoe deal in the 1990s? Was it A, Grant Hill, B, Stephon Marbury, C, Jerry Stackhouse, or D, Penny Hardaway? Huh. Can you, re- can you read off the answer choices one more time? Yeah, so sure thing, Brett. So we have Grant Hill, Stephon Marbury, Jerry Stackhouse, or Penny Hardaway. All right, I've got my answer. I'm All right, with going with time's up now. Let's see them, boys. So we have – Grant Hill. Grant Hill. Penny. Gary no going with Stephon Marbury. Starbury. Gabe, who'd you choose there? D, Penny. And he was wow, Nike. Brett. Brett with a huge response there. Ooh. He gets it right with Grant Hill. Okay. That is correct, though. Penny famously ran the Little Penny uh, Nike ad. And Stephon Marbury, I believe. He now has his own shoe. I know that. Converse. I think he was with Converse uh, back then. Okay. But it was Grant Hill who signed the FILA contract. Damn. So, <laughs> Brett with a huge right. turn with both of them getting it wrong. Ooh. It's now two with Gary, one with Gabe, and one with Brett. Question number four, and this might hit, hit home for Brett. Which Orlando Magic player tragically missed four consecutive free throws at the end of game one of the 1995 NBA Finals? Uh, I, don't magic, yeah, I don't know my Magic trivia right, see, so it's not a you good know, one. You, see, don't make me seem like a huge Magic fan because You're then when I, one, wrong, <laughs> when I get this wrong, when I get this wrong, it looks really bad. All right, answers up. I know nothing about the magic. I, I got we got nothing. Shaquille O'Neal. We got Penny Hardaway. We got Penny again. I got nothing. You got oh, nothing. You nothing. <laughs> I just the correct answer is forward Nick Anderson. Huge, huge forward. We had a Nick Anderson question. Is that the second oh, week in a row we've had a Nick Anderson question? Yeah, it is. Oh, what was goodness. the question last week? We had it was Anderson who stole the ball. ball. <laughs> Anderson stole the ball. Who oh, against Michael Jordan. Yeah, yeah. That was yeah. the same season, the, the oh, series man. before. But he missed four that would have given the Magic the lead in game one. They later got swept by the Houston Rockets in the 95 finals. Yep. I wrote yep. Penny for the same, for the last one, too, of course. <laughs> wow. So disappointing there. It remains two to one to one with Gary leading. Question number five. Which team was the first ever to lose in the first round of the playoffs as the number one seed? Mm. Obviously, the Mavericks did it in 2007 against the Warriors. But who was the first team to ever have the one seed? and lose in the first round of the playoffs? Was it A, the Orlando Magic, B, the Los Angeles Lakers, C, the Seattle Supersonics, or D, the Utah Jazz? Mm. Okay, I feel like I should know this. I, think, I feel like I I've answered this question before. Somewhere. I've actually never heard this question before. Yeah. I've never looked up this information. I didn't know this was the first. I didn't know in the Don't 90s wait. this was the first time. 
only happened twice. The Mavericks in 2007 and this team hmm. in 1996. The Rockets would have eliminated the, or the Magic would have eliminated the Bucks this year. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Enticing. <laughs> All right, answers up, boys. Uh, let's see. Can let's I see it. The Salt Lake City boys. The Utah Jazz is incorrect. Oh, Gabe and Gary going with the Sonics. That is correct. That's so, that's so Sonics. <laughs> so There's Sonics. The reason why it was they disappeared. The year yeah, exactly. after they went to the NBA Finals, they choked away a series. Championship hangover. Well, this isn't going well. So Gary with three, Gabe with two, Brett with one. How about question, question We're halfway through. That was halfway, halfway, through the halfway yep. point. Here we go. A little eliminated. true and false for you. A little mm. true and false. Okay. This is the late my, this great. Is so true or false? The late great Kobe Bryant is still the only 19-year-old to make an NBA All-Star team, having done it in 1998. The only 19-year-old to make an NBA All-Star team. True or false? Uh, I think I've I got think, Gary on I this. think this one. All right, let's I've see got, him. I've got Gary. Gary going with false. Brett going with false. Gabe going with – I can't see false. it. False. false. You all are wrong. What? Yeah. He is, is still not Jason the, Tatum? Nope. Mm, Tatum turned yeah. 20 when he made the NBA All-Star team. Kobe Bryant in 1998 is still the only NBA player to have ever made an NBA All-Star team at 19 years old. How old was LeBron when he made yeah. his first? Probably 20. Yeah. Really? Okay. I would have expected him to at least yeah. – I would have expected that. That's who I was assuming. That yeah, was a good curveball from Luke. That yeah, seems that was, like a question I like that. that should be false. It's yeah. It's, it should be a layup. <laughs> Only Kobe, yeah. man. Only Kobe could do it. Okay. True. Respect. All right. Question seven. Another true and false for you guys. Christian Leitner was the only college player to have made the 1992 Olympic Dream Team. True or false? Was he the only college player to have made the 92 team? 92. Uh, that's. I'm gonna go with this one. I've got it. True or false? Let's see him. I have not watched the Dream Team documentary in a while. Brett going with false. Gary going with true. False. Uh oh, this is not good for me. It false. is true. Oh, it is it true. Christian Leitner was the only college player invited to compete with the 1992 Dream Team. Shaq wasn't on that team. Nope. Oof. That was my it's guess. actually documented a lot in uh, "I Hate Christian Leitner," the thirty for thirty documentary. That's a lot, a lot of people were upset by that. A lot of people thought it might have been a little biased towards Leitner, who was at the top of the collegiate game at the time. But mm-hmm. he was the only player there. So Gary, with a huge answer. So Gary's got a three-point lead. He's got four. Gabe's got four two. Total. You've got one, Brett. So I need to nail the last three, and Gary needs to, to miss with. all three. Yeah, needs to win. <laughs> All right, here we go. Another multiple choice for you guys for question eight. Here we go. Who led the NBA in rebounds per game in the 1990s for the full decade? Who led in rebounds per game? Was it A, Charles Barkley, B, Hakeem Olajuwon, C, David Robinson, the Admiral, or D, Dennis Rodman? See, I can make a case for all three of these. All now, four here's, of these. here's the thing. Before, before you lift up your answers, rebounds per game, yep, not, not total, total rebounds. Mm-hmm. You make that distinction. Not about longevity. Four of them. Not if, about you long- me, all right. if you told me it was all four of them, I'd believe it. Yeah. yeah. Let's see it. Doesn't answers seem to up. be a bad answer. Mm-hmm. 
We got C for Gary, David Robinson, Charles Barkley, and Dennis. Gabe with All a them. huge answer, a huge response Ooh. there. It is, in fact, Dennis Robin who led the league in rebounds per game in the 1990s. Yeah, he, he led the, the league a couple times in rebounds per game for like three years or something. See, okay, yeah, I, I had somewhat I, of a strategy there. And let me explain because I, I, I knew right. I had to take some, I knew I had to take some that Gary wasn't going to take. Right, that's true. Even I if I was going to be I was not going to go with Barkley. You're right. I was like, I've got to come up with an outside answer that Gary wouldn't take that gives me a chance to be right. And I yeah. thought Barkley. Dennis? Rodman, Rodman was a very, very good answer. I thought so Dennis Gabe, was too easy of a guess. That's why I was thinking. I thought this I was thought that too, question. but I just had to go with See, it. I would exactly. have thought Barkley would be the easy guess. I mean, his nickname is the round mound of rebound. Was it for uh, answer C? I was I named blanking, but you gave his nickname. So I was David like, maybe Robinson, the Admiral. Ah, I led you dropped, on there a little bit. You dropped in his nickname. It's just the coolest name in the coolest nickname in NBA history. It is a very cool nickname, but you gave the little nickname, and I was like, oh, maybe that's his little tell. Okay, yeah, I'm mathematically eliminated. I'm yes. still going to stick around and play. But Gabe just made this a one point game. He's yes, coming for my title. Yeah, we're still going to make fun of him. it. I don't want to Brett's NBA NBA uh, knowledge. Good. So, so here we go. Question nine, Gary holding a four to three lead over Gabe. Which New York Knicks coach infamously held onto the leg of Alonzo Mourning during a brawl between the Heat and the Knicks? Was it A, Pat Riley, B, Jeff Van Gundy, C, Larry Brown, or D, Isaiah Thomas, all having coached the Knicks? Can you repeat that name? Yeah, please. Yeah, which New York Knicks coach infamously held onto the leg of Miami Heat forward Alonzo Mourning during a brawl between the Heat and the Knicks. Was it Pat Riley, Jeff Van Gundy, Larry Brown, or Isaiah Thomas? That's such a funny question. <laughs> the last one, D, what, so there's four? Or is there four? I think I blanked on one, maybe. What, what now? There was four, there's four answers, correct? Yeah, yes. yeah. Okay. yeah, you have Pat Riley, Jeff Van Gundy, Larry Brown, and the Hall of Fame point guard, Isaiah Thomas. Mm-hmm. All right, answers right. up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I think I'm super off. Oh, if it's Pat Riley, I'm going to lose it. What would be? Brett goes with Larry Brown. Gary goes with Isaiah Thomas. Gabe goes with Jeff Van Gundy. That is correct. Oh, no. Jeff Van Gundy oh, no. Here we is go. the culprit, and we are tied <laughs> oh, no. heading into the final question. <laughs> Oh, no. I did not know it was Van Gundy. (laughs) Here we go. I just guessed. Question number 10. (laughs) Which Bulls player trash-talked Carl Malone before a pivotal free throw in the 1997 NBA Finals? Was it A, Scottie Pippen, B, Michael Jordan, C, Dennis Rodman, or D, Ron Harper? Hmm. Could be all of them. <laughs> it really can be. <laughs> uh, let's get this one. Let's get this one. Hopefully, down. They, hopefully they show this in uh, the last dance. All right, yeah, answers up. Uh, there it is. We have Ron Harper. We have Ron Uh-oh. Harper. We have Scotty Pippen. Gabe has won. Oh, <laughs> Luke's NBA go. trivia. Good one. Good one, what? Gabe. A run by Gabe, getting the last three wow. right. Wow! So we and have our I third did. title holder. <laughs> yeah. So it went from Gary to me. I held it for a short time, only two weeks. Only I never really got to defend it. This is my this is my shot at defending it. But Gabe stole it. Gabe, that means you have to I'm come back. back on next week. All right. Or not. 
we'll, we'll come up with a different theme, probably a different moderator. Maybe I'll moderate again. We'll see. I don't know. It was a short reign for me, but it is what it is. I didn't really come prepared for 90. Uh, I'm just not. That's kryptonite just, there, man. It, it was just not good. I got um, one question right. It was just not I, good. It was a bad performance. I totally didn't guess on most of them. There, 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 <laughs> Gary were, there was no excuses. Oof. Let's not talk about the blown leads here. <laughs> it, was, it was just an improbable run by Gabe. Congrats yeah, to him. Thank you, and, thank and, you. and Luke, we need to get you back on to compete in the near future. Oh, 100%. Uh, instead of moderating. Because I know you didn't get the chance to play baseball IQ. Uh, week one. Probably would have won that. Probably would have won today if I was the one answering. We'll see, yeah, though. For sure. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to be back and, and, and do something else. But another great show. Thank you guys for hopping on with me. This will be available as a podcast. This might even be available to listen to live on WVFS. We're working on those details. And hopefully we'll bring you guys more content soon. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford. For Luke Hazen, for Gabe Tisnes, for Gary Putnick, this was Tomahawk Talk. And we'll see you guys next week.